Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing, all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate eBooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. Have you ever wondered what inspires the people who create our cultural touchstones? On the Spark Parade podcast, your host, Adam Oons, geeks out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. Everything from Shakespeare to South Park. You'll hear from artists like Connor Oberst on Northern Exposure, Roisin Murphy on Terrence Conrad's The House Book, and Charlene Spiteri on Paris, Texas. The Spark Parade, where artists reveal cultural inspirations to spark the inspiration in you. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with Emily Hornberg, author of The Cursed Queens, book one of which, The Knights Chosen, came out October 6th of 2020. So Emily is no stranger to pandemic publishing. I I can't even imagine. And with your debut, too, am I right? Yes. So I can say I had a book come out in 2020. And it did okay. I think it was essentially my 10th book. And so I had a readership built in and and that was lovely and I'm sure helped me out. But I saw the impact of that pandemic. So I would love to hear about publishing as a debut author. I know that you also have mentioned to me that your query journey was just difficult. It was a slog through the trenches, which it is for many, many people, myself included. But then to debut during COVID, I don't know if you could just tell us, tell us a little bit about both those things. Tell us about your publishing journey. And then also that almost anticlimactic or maybe super climactic, however you want to look at it, uh, time of debut. It's definitely been a journey I mean, I've always wanted to be an author. And so I really started pursuing that in my mid-20s when I was actually finally figuring out how it actually worked, like what it took to write a book that could get published, what the query process was, and all of that. Um, You actually critiqued one of my queries. Nice. Uh, It was for for an urban fantasy, and you gave me really great feedback. But I remember you saying – just a heads up, no one is taking urban fantasy right now. And guess what? Mm-hmm. You were totally right. <laughs> no one wanted my book. <laughs> so after that, after I got a million rejections for that one, which that was a few years between writing it and querying it, 
I went back to the book I have published now, which is an adult fantasy retelling of Snow White. And the rest of the books are going to be other fairy tale retellings as well. That one also kind of had an interesting journey. And so I was very hesitant to start querying it because I was just like, I'm going to put all this effort into this book and now no one's going to want this one. And so I, I kind of was slowly querying it out. But then I decided to get ready for Pitch Wars. And so I worked really hard on it and getting it polished up and getting it ready to go for Pitch Wars. And I was not chosen that year. I did make some connections um, with one of the mentors that I submitted to, Paris Winters. And she and I emailed back and forth a lot during the Pitch Wars process. I remember on Twitter, like she was very interested in my book when I would mention it. After the fact, she told me, you don't realize how close your book was to being picked. Like you did very Mm -hmm. well. So please don't feel like this is a failure by any means. Mm -hmm. But she kind of took me under her wing, even though I wasn't actually one of the people that she picked. Like once Pitch Wars was over and that whole process was done several months later, she was willing to look over my book again and help me through that revision process. And so then she actually met an editor for City Owl Press at the Romance Writers of America conference. And she was like, you know, I think you would really like this book. So she, in a way, acted like my agent and Mm -hmm. pitched it to this editor. They had me send it out to her. And then I waited several months uh, later. And by that time, it was time for the next Pitch Wars. I'll go ahead and just submit my book again because I've definitely changed it a lot since the last year. So I submitted it again and I did terribly. I was like, well, maybe I just need to scrap this book too. No one's wanting it. And then December 1st, I got the letter from my editor saying that they wanted to bring it on. Just to be clear, you went through this whole process to publication without an agent, correct? Yes, I queried some agents and when I got the email from the city of press and that they want to take my book on, I did do the, the standard two weeks where I emailed the people who already had my query just to let them mm-hmm. know, Hey, I have this publishing house who wants to take my book. Anybody interested? All of them said, Hey, that's awesome. Best of luck. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> Which was fine. Cause all you need is the one. So that was really exciting. And then originally my book was supposed to be published this year Mm -hmm. in 2021, but they hadn't given me an exact date yet. It was beginning of 2020, early spring. I just emailed them. I was just like, hey, like, do you even have like a general idea? And they're like, actually, yeah. Do you want to publish it in October of this year? And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then of course... You had no idea that you were agreeing to publish right when the world had kind of shut down. So did you have any plans in place in terms of promotion, like signings or public appearances that ended up getting canned? Like, did you have to suddenly reroute all of the promotional things that you had planned? 
you know, I had been planning for it to come out the, the next year. So I hadn't even begun that process yet. So at least in that sense, it was kind of nice because I didn't have to rearrange things. But it did make it very challenging to get that promotion process even started. Because even now, even though things are opening up, as I'm trying to reach out to local bookstores, because I live in the Chicago area. And so like, you know, we have tons of bookstores and big art scene around here. And so even now trying to reach out to these bookstores, because it's a smaller press. And so um, you kind of have to like ask them to carry your book. We would love to carry it, but just because this was such a hard year, we're literally yeah. only ordering the things we know are, go- are guaranteed to sell. Maybe like approach us again when things open up even more and like we're a little bit better on our feet. So that's just been a struggle or like my local Barnes and Noble that I go to all the time. One of the managers, she was like super excited about the book. But because of COVID, they weren't able to do their usual local author stuff that they do every quarter yeah. that she was going to invite me to. So yeah. so it's been a challenge just kind of trying to even just locally get my name out there. I was I, There was one thing pre-publication I was going to do with my local library because they do like a mini Comic-Con at my local library. Mm-hmm. And I was going to do a little writing workshop. But of course, that had to get canceled. It's hard. I'm traditionally published with a big Mm -hmm. press, but honestly, the tried and true methods of doing those local appearances and showing up and shaking hands and beating the Mm -hmm. pavement, that is what actually, I think, has has a real impact. When I say local, I mean like tri-county area. (laughs) You know, I do events... At libraries, I'm very fortunate to be living pretty much right in the center of Ohio. So I can go anywhere in my state, pretty much a three-hour drive. So I always tell people, if you're in Ohio, I'll drive to you. We'll work something out. And so when I was first getting on my feet, I sometimes charged, for the first year, I charged absolutely nothing. Just, mm-hmm. I just wanted to show up and say, hi, I'm Mindy, and I wrote a book, and I'm from Ohio. And, you know, now I charge for appearances, but I keep it uh, within the realm of possibility for all socioeconomic levels, just because I grew up very rurally, and I didn't meet an author until I myself was published. So it's yeah. like, I want to be able to put myself in front of kids and adults anywhere. It makes a huge impact. Doing those events, doing local library things, doing village festivals. That's what I do. I do Christmas in the village and that kind of thing. And I do it in my hometown and I do it in Mm -hmm. the next town over. Just really those, here I am and you know me and I wrote a book. It gets people excited and it works. And not being able to do that, not being able to have that grassroots startup available to you as a debut, I think that that, I think that that would be really like crushing. Yeah, it was really tough because the area of Chicago that I live in, I live in the Southwest suburbs. And so even just in my area, because most of the bookstores, like the independent ones and stuff, are more on the north side. And so even just reaching out to them where it's like, you kind of feel awkward, like reaching out to them because like they're local, but at the same time, like 
in Chicago, like the difference between the South side and the North side, like it could be like a three hour drive. It's kind of odd, even just reaching out to them. Cause it's like, I'm local, but not really. In, in Ohio, I just say local means the whole state. In Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause there's even one bookstore that has three branches and the closest one to me was maybe like a half hour away, which wasn't too bad. Mm -hmm. But that one ended up closing during COVID, of course. And that was one of the few people who was like, yes, we would love to carry your book. And then they closed. And I was like, ah. But they had even restrictions on their local author program on your mile radius that you could be in for the store. And so Mm. thankfully, at least for the next closest one, I'm like just within their mile radius. It's been tough. So I'm really hoping now that things are opening up a little bit more because my next book is supposed to come out in March of next year. So I'm hoping Mm. that even though I'm not stopping promotion for book one at all, to kind of like almost in a way start from scratch with book two and leading up to book two. So that way, like people can kind of read book one in preparation for book two and that's kind of what I'm hoping right now. Of course, of course. Well, and I would think too, as an indie author in a fairly densely populated area, where I'm from is tiny. There are mm-hmm. two or three people who have gone like the indie route or self-published. And that's like in a uh, not dense population. <laughs> yeah. So I can't even imagine trying to not only stand out in a bookstore in general, but even to stand out within, like you're saying, a, a certain mile radius when the population is so dense. Yeah, there's a lot out here and it's like in the suburbs and in the city of course and so it is difficult to like make yourself stand out a little bit more we have had like a really great support system and like one of the perks of being with the small press is they really help you get to know the other people that are published with your press and so like we have like a little Facebook groups for like all of the authors and then we have like a Facebook group for all the authors as well as all the editors and all of us. Um, so that's had been really, really helpful just to be able to have that support system. So that way all the others who were also having their debut novel published in the same year, we could kind of all support each other and be there for each other. I know that even among uh, debut groups in the traditional publishing world, we do form groups uh, that are debuting in the same year. So I came out in 2013. So there was a general group of YA and middle grade authors called the Lucky 13s. And then there was a smaller (laughs) group called the Class of 2K13, which is actually where uh, both of those groups, I've met some of the people that are my critique partners now and friends that I talk to every day. And like you're saying, just other people in the publishing industry that you can say, Hey, did you run into this? Or what do you think I should do with this? Or, Hey, let me bounce something off you. Or, you know what? I just booked an event and I showed up and literally zero people came, which has (laughs) happened to me actually three times. So (laughs) having a traditional publisher, having, even being with a big publisher, it doesn't mean that uh, the red carpet is rolled out for you and everything is fine. <laughs> I can say that for sure. Hopefully I'll be able to do more in-person stuff soon because I think that's going to be a really big help. Oh, for sure. 
I think in person, I mean, I love it. Some authors aren't necessarily comfortable in front of crowds. So they're not good at public speaking. A lot of people don't like to do um, readings and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I am like, I don't care. I will juggle fiery knives, <laughs> whatever you need from me. I am here and I will entertain you. I was a theater major in college, so I'm hoping that'll like help me out. Oh, it'll help. <laughs> it'll help. Trust me. Not a lot of uh, writers are good speakers, so any type of stage experience actually helps a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Vellum. It just works. Best-selling indie author Alex Lydell, whose book Enemy Contact, an enemies-to-lovers romantic suspense, hit number 25 in the Amazon paid Kindle store, has this to say about Vellum. There are always a ton of hangups in the publishing process, from the printer running out of ink at just the wrong moment to Amazon rejecting margins. But Vellum has been one program I can depend on. It formats my manuscripts quickly, professionally, and most importantly, in a way that never gets rejected by any online retailers. Visit www.trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. That's try com forward slash pants. Vellum. It just works. You also are someone that I wanted to talk to about disability representation in fiction and in media. You yourself have a physical disability that you were born with. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about that and how you use that to inform your fiction. I have a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. We all just call it OI because that's a really big mouthful. Um, (laughs) Essentially, it's brittle bones disease. You probably know it. There was an episode of Grey's Anatomy where she was pregnant with, of course, the most severe case of OI ever invented uh, to make it really dramatic. I think there was an episode of Bones about it once, which I felt like they didn't use it as much as they could have. And it was very disappointing. And I think there was an episode of uh, Call the Midwife. I think they had an episode in case people want to look those up. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, I have very fragile bones. I was diagnosed when I was about a year and a half. Essentially, the doctor described at the time my bones were like a stick of butter. It was how oh. fragile they were. And so I also have very short stature. Uh, not everybody with OI has a short stature, but it's very common. So I'm only about four foot two, which is the first thing people usually notice. But I don't have the same body shape as someone with dwarfism. So it kind of like confuses people a little bit. Yeah. So by the time I was 11, I had like at least 20, we call them hip spica cast, which is essentially a cast that goes from like your feet to up to your chest. Um, Because at the time, that was the best way to keep, like, your femurs still when you were a kid and it was broken. So I broke a lot of femurs and I've got, like, rods in all my bones because my bones suck at being bones. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. So I had, like, long leg braces for a long time. I used a walker for a long time. I graduated to no 
braces and no walker, but then I used a wheelchair in high school, not because I couldn't walk, but just because it was like, hey, you have to carry heavy books that weigh more than you and battle really crowded hallways. So this will probably be safer for you to navigate those things. And I still use a wheelchair on occasion for like long distance stuff. Um, So I call myself Mm. a wheelchair part-timer. Okay. Yeah. But I remember as a kid, I kind of dreaded seeing kids with disabilities on TV or in books and movies and stuff, uh, just because it was all so badly done. Like I remember growing up wanting a wheelchair not necessarily because I needed one, but just because I was like, well, that's what everybody thinks disability is. And so therefore, if I have a wheelchair, I will be like all of the other disabled kids. Mm. And it will like make sense. <laughs> um, and it was always as kind of like the like the very important message episodes and like, oh, the, the yes. kid in the wheelchair is here to teach you a very special lesson. I just kind of like got used to being the weird one. So when I got older, I remember reading The Fault in Our Stars. Mm-hmm. And even though obviously kids battling cancer and someone having brittle bones are completely different things, but just like the discussion the character had about being a kid and being a teenager in the hospital and those experiences or the mm-hmm. way people would stare at them or even just the things of like, This is the part of being sick that nobody wants to talk about, but this is my reality. I just really connected with it. And I had never had felt like that before reading or watching something. And that was kind of when I started thinking more about like, wow, like this was really cool that someone actually kind of gets it. I don't have many main characters who have disability. Later in the, the series I'm working on, who has a disability, who's the main character? Um, right now she's a side one. And mm-hmm. so, but I really want to try and have them in the books, even if they're a side character, just existing. Like I never want to write something where I'm like, I'm going to write a great American novel about someone overcoming their disability and making it get like, this big thing, but just a person who has it. Having, having, um, not read The Fault in Our Stars. I was a librarian when The Fault mm-hmm. in Our Stars came out. All kids would walk in and be like, I want to read The Fault in Our Stars. I'm like, okay, <laughs> here you go. Like, I, I don't need to promote The Fault in Our Stars. Right. It's like, I can, I, I have to go read things that they're not going to ask for and then I can pitch it to them. But I know the experience of not seeing things done correctly or your own experience being represented poorly. Like I said, I grew up very rurally, uh, pretty economically disadvantaged area. And, you know, very Midwest. I just kind of rail against most media and book, film, TV portrayals of essentially country rural dwellers. Mm -hmm. Um, they're always like racist, sexist, tobacco sitting assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, I grew up here and uh, those people are here. Uh, they're also in the city. Maybe not mm-hmm. the tobacco, but it's there. <laughs> I never see a good representation. Very rarely do I see a good representation of, you know, small town, rural without it being 
kind of um, tongue in cheek, dumb hick side yeah. eye. While I can't speak to you know, having a disability or seeing that portrayed in, like you're saying, the very special episode of Blossom, <laughs> right? I right. mean, it's like, <laughs> exactly. I remember, and that was always a thing. Um, and it was, but it was, it was very othering. It was very mm-hmm. much like we're gonna we're gonna give some space to this, and then uh, you know, <laughs> give ourselves a gold star. Yeah, exactly. And like, because even um, the TV show Glee, which I will fully admit, I am the last Gleek. Everyone is welcome (laughs) to judge me. I judge myself. It's okay. Um, You know, they had the character of Artie. And there there was so much like potential with that character. And in Mm -hmm. some ways, they did him really well because he was the, the one in the wheelchair. But when, almost every time there was an episode that focused on him as the main character, the plot line had something to do with his wheelchair and with his disability. Yeah. And it was just kind of disappointing. So I was like, oh, man, like you have so much potential with this character. He sings and he has all these other interests and he's kind of a jerk. But in a way, that's refreshing because he's not just yeah. the inspirational kid. Um, it wasn't until a later season, which is when most people dropped off of the show, um, that they didn't get to see. Like there was a great episode when he got to college and he was magically a ladies man where he hadn't been when he was in high school and he had mm. an STD and that was what the episode was about. And I was like, this is awesome. Finally. <laughs> like not that I'm cheering on STDs, but like it was like, finally he had a plot line that wasn't necessarily related to the wheelchair. Yeah. He just had a college kid problem. Exactly. <laughs> first STD. That would be a great, a very special episode. (laughs) Something that uh, people do talk to me about occasionally, but not all that often, representations of faith, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. in my case, Christianity, in YA fiction. So uh, again, when we speak of what I usually see in YA fiction, middle grade, I can't speak to as much, but definitely in YA fiction, Usually when there is, uh, for example, a minister, they're mm-hmm. usually not someone you would want for a dad or a yeah. mom. Like they're just not, they're not yeah. there's usually something either controlling or downright shady and gross going on. One of my best friends was a, was a preacher's kid and his dad was awesome. And like, yeah. he's a great guy. Like he was our minister, but he was also just like, everybody's dad and like a cool guy and you'd go over to their house and he'd be like you know making hot dogs I I find myself becoming very frustrated whenever I see a character that is defined by their religion it don't swear and they've never been to a party or if they know it's played for laughs right I grew up a Christian and I don't even I don't even want to share how much I drank like my weight before I graduated from mm-hmm. high school right they're real people it's so frustrating to me that you know you can't be a Christian and this is of course true everywhere <laughs> but you can't be a Christian and also you know have sex or right. <laughs> drink or you know basically have any fun or swear you have a degree in theology. I have a degree in um, comparative religions and um, right. <laughs> so glad that I do. I can't say that it landed me any major jobs, but uh, you know, I'm glad I have it. 
talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about your degree in theology. And, you know, I myself, some people have seen it. Some people have reached out and pointed it out to me or um, said that they noticed it. I slip nods into my writing. And uh, I think that you mentioned that you do too. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household. Um, we're Lutherans, which in the Christian world, Lutherans were like unicorns. We're always just like very excited when we find another Lutheran. I so I just want to like too. throw that in there. <gasps> oh my God. Seriously. Yes. That just made my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So I grew up LCMS. Um, yeah, I'm ELCA. So you're like the liberals. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's so funny, actually. I've been dating someone new for a little bit now, and I was at a um, a gathering like of her graduation, and um, it was really funny because the the guy I've been seeing was came you know, like to a family event. And it was one of his first mm-hmm. family events. And, uh, you know, the crowd kind of started to thin out mid afternoon. I looked around and I was like, okay, it's like, we can crack out the beer now. It's just the church people. And he's like, what? (laughs) And I was like, no, we're good. It's just the, it's just everyone from church drinking is fine now. (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical. I love it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I actually was a youth director for all that was like my degree was director of Christian education. And then it included a, it was a required minor in theology. And then I had concentrations in youth and theater ministry. So I was an overachiever and did all the things. And so I was a youth director for a little while after college until I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, part of it, one, one of the many reasons was writing. And I was like, well, I can't really write what I want to write. And still be a youth director. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> um, and so, but I never wanted to like villainize religion. Religion plays actually a pretty a big part in my book, In the Night's Chosen. But it's definitely not a Christian religion at all. It's like multi-gods and they dedicate themselves to a god and get magic yeah. from it and all that stuff. But I never wanted to make the religion itself villainize, but there's definitely critique of the religion because I definitely am a fan of like absolutely critique and like talk about, you know, where things go wrong, like where we can improve and all of those things. But I just, while the representation sometimes of faith and the negative connotations like is definitely there, it's like there's still so much more than just that and so I never wanted to villainize the religion itself but just point out that maybe some of the ways that we've twisted it Mm -hmm. um, which that was really fun and actually like building the religion was like one of the most fun parts of it and so the people who have read it and know me and my family but they aren't like religious leaders. Like they're the ones who end up being like, Oh, like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about reading about a pagan religion. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's not real by the way. Like (laughs) this is all made up. Like, it's like, I'm not telling you to believe this because this is pretend like this is fantasy. Like none of this is real. Right. Like I said, I was a librarian for a long time in a school Mm -hmm. and when Harry Potter came out and, some people were having fits about it 
And I talked to, uh, I didn't really ever have any official complaints, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were conversations and, uh, you know, someone, a parent had said something to me about witchcraft. And I was like, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to try one of the spells. And if it works, <laughs> let me know. Then there's a problem. <laughs> That's and, a great you know, answer. It, I love that. You know, it's like, I freaking wish the Accio worked. I would just. That would be great. And call things to me constantly. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't. So it's like, that's, that's the kind of thing you're right. Like I, there's, there's a couple different things going on there where, you know, you can write about a, create an entirely new and different religion. And that scares people because they're scared like just even the concept is a little bit scary to them because it's not known and yeah the other thing is if you use an already existing religion uh that also can just be a minefield so i find myself very very carefully whenever i do use any type of like mentioning actually like religion outright or some nods that that maybe only somebody with a really deep steeping in symbology is going to understand it's what i was raised in and it's what i grew up in and you know really really formative for me and while i still live in the community and i still go to the church that i grew up in and was baptized mm-hmm. in and was confirmed in and was married in yep. i get divorced in the church i wish they did that <laughs> that would be great but you know everything else yes i you know and it's just such a part of my life that tends Mm -hmm. to surprise people when i talk about it because you know i'm i write about very very dark things and i write about things that are really scary to a lot of people i write about addiction Mm -hmm. and i write about rape culture and i write about violence when i do identify myself as a christian a lot of people are very surprised and i'm like well it's because i'm a human guys <laughs> right the weird it's a weird corner that i that i find myself in one of my my ex uh used to tell me he said you know you don't exist right because you're a liberal christian and i was like <laughs> yeah it feels like that does sometimes doesn't it <laughs> that way but i told him i was like there is more of us than you think it's just that we're not loud there are we don't yep it's true tv shows <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's very true we don't have tv shows no if they do have tv shows i would be very skeptical anyway so yeah <laughs> last thing why don't you let listeners know where they can find you online and where they can find your first book, The Night's Chosen, and when they can be looking for the second as well. You can find me pretty much anywhere online um, with E.E. Hornberg. So two E's, H-O-R-N-B-U-R-G. That's my username on Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. I'm mostly on Instagram. That's where you'll find me the most active. So my website is emilyhornberg.com. There you can get my newsletter and uh, find everything about my books. You can find The Night's Chosen 
it's definitely on Amazon, but even though it's not in physical bookstores, if you go to like barnesandnoble.com or like your favorite bookstore website, you can still purchase it online, um, which is great. So I always encourage people to use bookshop.org if you want the physical copy particularly, um, since that will support your local indie bookstores. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.